I am Jimbo Paris, and you are listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. Today we have Drew Stevens, a successful entrepreneur. Let's see what he has to say. Definitely interested. How's it going, man? Good. How are you, man? Good to have you uh, do this interview today. I'm excited about it. So, can you give me sort of a brief summary of who you are, what you're about, and what's your message? Absolutely. I, for the last 20 some odd years, I've been in my own business consulting and advisory small to middle market firms, essentially. Um, I help fix the screw ups that many businesses have, but I work with individuals as well. And, you know, Jimbo, I got into this business because I got really bad advice, really sucky advice. And so I discovered, you know, I've got a talent from up above and I want to be able to use it and use it in a positive way. And so my attitude was, let me let me find a way to help individuals that struggle and transform them the best way that I know how, especially crappy advice that I had gotten many years ago. So can you help me? How you overcame a lot of those challenges and how did you transform yourself to become the man you are today? You know, it's a great question. And I know from doing some background on your show, a lot of it is related to spirituality and a lot of it is related to, you know, the inner person. I came from a dysfunctional home. I was an abused kid when I was five and I was abused from five to about 18 years of age. During that time, as I became a teenager, I did what everybody else did. I got involved in drugs. I got involved in drinking. I was doing some stupid things. And you know what? And I do say to people now, and especially when I speak to other groups, I will tell you that God spoke to me from above and said, yo, stop and smack me in the head. You can't do this no more. And I didn't even think it was not, okay, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're doing. Literally, the very next day, I walked into my school after smoking dope on the outside stairs and signed up for the track team and wound up becoming very successful in track. That led to me being understanding of goals and understanding of objectives. And I knew the crap that I didn't want to deal with. I knew where I wanted to go. And having those the understanding of goals, having the understanding of dreams and having the understanding that as individuals, we we have free will. And with free will, we can make good decisions or we can make very bad ones. And so as I work with individuals, I now help them to understand how that free will truly helps them become the man or the woman that they aspire to be. We could be anything that we want as long as we don't withhold ourselves. Sort of a lot of those goals and objectives. How did you kind of learn the ropes through track? Was it your coach? Was it, you know, I don't really know how track works, but don't you have like a certain distances you need to run in a certain amount of time? Things like that. You know, it's a great question. And no, no one truly in all of these years has ever asked me that question. My high school coaches were not really that good. I just observed. And I observed two things. There were two things that I knew that I wanted to be. I wanted to be the captain of the team. And I sat back and I looked at the behavior of the person that was at that time, the current track captain. I said, the guy's just an ass. I, you know, he's just all about himself. He's not into other people. And he's just got this ego about him. I'm there to help. I want to be there to help other individuals. That was one. Number two, 
I found a great admiration for track, and that's because I was on my own. It was not necessarily a team sport. And I found out very early the things that interested me. I wanted to be a sprinter. I liked being fast. I wanted to be a hurdler. I liked jumping over obstacles. But the interesting thing is, is I, at the time, at shoot 15 years of age, were going through several obstacles in trying to not get beaten by my father all the time in, in terms of not being punished. And I learned how, and I read books and I watched, yeah, I could even say it back then. I was watching videos. I was listening to things. And on television, I learned who some of my heroes were. And from that, I, I admired what they were able to do. And I emulated them. And I thought, well, shoot, if they could do that, <clears throat> I can do that as well. And with that, I created aspirations about wanting to go to the Olympics, wanting to go on to a college career, wanting to not be the person I, that I was always running in fear and running away from family, but truly wanting family. And that helped me to that observation and, and just taking those steps really helped me to make those changes. And what books did you read? What types of heroes did you specifically have? You know. Yeah, I, you know what? I honestly, it, because I was so young at the time, I was 15, 16 years old, I really didn't have any heroes. You know, it was one of those things that, although I watched the track stars on TV, there was Edwin Moses, there was Carl Lewis, and many others. I, you know, today, so many years later, I might call them heroes. If anything else, I can say that they were just celebrities that I wanted to follow, individuals that I thought brought a lot to the table and can help me be to become better. But I really, you know, even today, I don't have anybody that I would say is a hero. If anything, my heroes were two individuals in my life. Um, one was my grandmother at the time, who was my best friend. Um, my grandmother just talked to me forever. Yeah. And we just had a certain bond. And when she passed, I lost that hero. The other hero was a woman who I've spoken to on and off for now close to 30 years, but I, we've kind of lost touch with each other. But there was a woman by the name of Marnie who actually uh, I worked with in a camp. She heard about my troubles. She brought me into her home. She gave me a home. She fed me. She took care of me. She gave me money. For heaven's sake, she bought me a car. She bought my uh, second car. And that's because one that I had actually become had become trashed and I couldn't do anything with it anymore, unfortunately. But Marnie took care of me. And even today, when I reach out to her and she's very distant, I feel badly about that because she, in addition to my grandmother, got me to be where I am today. If not for those two, I could have been homeless. I could have had been divorced a couple of times. I could have been a child abuser myself. But I took a different path, and I truly believe it's because of those two. That's a very powerful thing you said, but if you could pick an extra hero, would you make that hero yourself? No, I'm not. No, I would never say that I'm a hero. I would say, if anything, in today's times and where I am in life, I would say I'm a disciple of Christ, and that's only because when I look from a spiritual sense, what I really appreciate is that Christ, from a godly perspective, uh, perspective, had 12 individuals, 12 individuals that were laborers, 12 individuals that, for the most part, were a bunch of screw-ups and, and has-beens. You know, you had a fisherman, you had a carpenter, you had a this. 
I, I was just one of those. And so I learned really to listen to my inner voice. I learned really to listen to God. And not that every decision I've ever made has followed that path, but I've learned to really listen. <clears throat> and from there, I think I've become a better subscriber of who I want to be and more tuned in. But hero, not a chance. I find that, you know, remarkably interesting because I think a lot of the people that may look at you or may aspire to be like you can see you as a because helping people out, in essence, is heroic. You know? But let's kind of get more into your religious life because I'm interested to know when did God play such a huge impact on who you were as a person? Were there any changes that came about? Were you always religious? No. Uh... It, it's really interesting because I wrote a chapter in a book last year, which was part of an anthology, and I utilized the analogy of light to dark, the Alpha and Omega from the Bible. When I was a kid, I was born as a Jewish child growing up in Brooklyn, New York. Religion was not really practiced whatsoever. In fact, quite quite fun, uh, oddly and whimsically. My grandmother, who I mentioned before, used to listen to Billy Graham. This was not a woman that took me to the Jewish synagogues and the temples. She she was listening to Billy Graham, but she did have a, you know a Bible to hold the New Testament. We never really talked about it. I think my trials and tribulations of getting abused was just me for the first time hearing that spiritually. But where I, okay, Billy Graham, I have no idea what that is. Sorry. What's that? What's Billy Graham? Billy Graham is a, an old preacher from, oh, goodness, uh, Jimbo, the 50s and 60s. He re- recently died, non-denominated pastor down in North Carolina, I believe it was. So consider him very close to, you know, he was the predecessor to the Steve Furtick's, the Joel Osteen's, the <clears throat> trying to think of some of the other pastors that are here in the States that are, Joyce Myers, uh, as a good example, you know, some of the ones that are pretty prominent today. But I think I, you know, for the most part, I got my religiosity and spirituality later on because back in, uh, I think it was 2003, 4, 5, I had a family and I was still Jewish at the time. We were talking about how the kids were going to um, become religious. Um, I'm married to a Catholic girl and I converted to Catholicism. Um, and that's in the last now 15, 16 years. And it's from that version that I've become more religious, more spiritual in terms of where my focus is today and, and the person that I want to be because of that spirituality. Now I understand, you know, there's some, from what I've heard, you know, there's some significant, well, there's some differences at least between Catholicism and Jewish belief, but do you think Catholicism just worked better for who you were as a person? No, you know, awesome question. Um, I heard many years ago by the pastor Joel Osteen, who um, is the head pastor of a church in Houston, Texas, Lake Lake uh, uh, Lakewood Church. He said that Jesus did not formulate a religion. Jesus came to this earth to form a partnership and to form a relationship with each and every one of us. Um, As I have looked at religions, as I looked at popes, as I have looked at um, other, you know, call them 
prophets over the years. What I've come to realize is that they truly were not really about religion. It truly was about relationship. And so that's where I am today in my beliefs. Although, yes, to a certain extent, all pre-pandemic anyway, following a lot of the Catholic principles, I really follow a non-denominational <clears throat> Christian principle of just be nice to everybody, do God's work, listen to God, you know, have that free will and do the right things that he would want us all to follow, uh, the paths that he would want us all to follow. What I always love is when people combine their spirituality and their understanding and their knowledge in that field with their business career as well. How did you combine the two of those together? Yeah, interesting because I used to think that business is business like anybody else. You go to work, you do your thing, and you know, but at the end of the day, there's no reason why you could not bring Christian principles into work because there are three things that I have determined when I work with businesses, especially people that are, are having struggles or the primarily businesses that are having struggle. Uh, it's about people, processes, and products. Let's kick out the product and work, look at people and, and processes for the most part. In order to have a good organization, it's funny because just prior to joining this podcast, I'm working on a presentation that I'll be delivering next week about recruiting and trying to find people in this current toxic environment that we're in. And, you know, at the end, of the day, people just want to work with good individuals. People don't leave bad companies. They leave really shitty managers. And so from that perspective, you know, you want people to be able to get along. Now, look, not every business is going to be kumbaya, everybody laughing and giggling all of the time. There are going to be differences. And, and even in the Bible, Jesus Christ said, you're going to go through obstacles. There is no way that life is Pollyanna. But if you could all figure out how to work together and create this, this vision, it's going to be a lot better off for you. On the other notion, there are then processes. And people create obstacles for themselves. And they create obstacles because they're very self-serving, because people are not part of the process. And because there are many other individuals that, like we read in the Bible, have become narcissists, like, uh, you know, the the um, king that threw the three kids into a fiery furnace to hit Joseph's brothers that threw him into a pit because they were envious of Joseph because of David who whose brothers didn't like him because he was anointed king of Israel and they said oh frick you you know what I want to be king of Israel too and I'm not going to be able to so we have seen that envy and what, even Pharaoh from Moses if we go back to the Old Testament you know in the beginning of time the Pharaoh was exceedingly envious of Moses. You know, let my people go. Who the heck are you? You got a staff and, you know, some swaddling clothes. What do you know about letting people go? And what we have learned is that they have put all these processes in place to make it difficult. If we can learn how to follow true Christian principles and like the Ten Commandments, treat each other well, you know, honor God and, and be kind to our neighbor, you know, the business itself will be much more sustainable in the long run. And how did you learn these lessons when you started 
your first business? Because what was sort of the first business you built? And how did you sort of implement these philosophies into your first business? Well, yeah, I, I, I got my start a long, long time ago. I graduated in college in 84 and I, I got into my first, my first job and my first profession was a sales job. And what I learned about that with three very important things. Number one, you need to question more. As a good selling professional, you need to find out about the other person and questioning is a good way to do that. Number two is that it's not about you. It's not about commission. It's what's the, what is valuable for the consumer? What's going to put the consumer in a better place? And so I learned about how to talk to them in terms of benefit orientation. So it's all about them, not about me. And last but not least was the fact that as a selling professional, you need to be a good listener. You just need to just shut up and listen sometimes. And if I carry that forward to your question on those Christian principles, that's exactly what the Bible tells us constantly. The Bible is always telling us to listen more and speak less. The Bible will always also say, get to know your fellow man, get to understand them a little bit more. And that, you know, if if we do the right things, we can walk this road together, even though there's always going to be some negotiation, but that negotiation will benefit everybody in the long run. really cool is when you said people leave bad managers, not bad business. Why do you think bad managers get such the highlight this day and age? Is it just because managers are very hard to come by? Well, what I've learned, yeah, what I've learned in my many of running companies, I've run other companies and I've consulted with other companies. I've been an employee of other companies. Um, And I'm writing about this, as I said, with a presentation I'm doing next week. What I come to find is simply this. Um, There are too many organizations, way too many organizations, that literally hire for behavior and not necessarily the innate skills that the individual has. Or they'll take somebody like Jimbo Paris and say, well, here's the job description. You've met everything in the job description. Now do this job. And so it doesn't allow you to use your creative influences. It puts you in a box. And I think that most individuals, including myself, because I had to become a manager like anybody else when um, I had that opportunity, we're not taught to be managers. And what I mean by that is management is is an HR process. It's all about human resources. The heck with processes. The heck with reports, the heck with analyzing data. At the end of the day, you're really managing people. So even the head coach of a football or a baseball team is really managing individuals. They're not running reports and game plans and all of that. And the reason why head coaches of professional sports or any sport are so abysmal is because they don't know how to get along well with the individuals that are on their team. And when you look at even at individuals that have created businesses, it's wonderful to see entrepreneurs say, I'm starting a business. Here I am starting a business. Okay, great that you have, it's terrific that you have the innovation that you do. But what's hellacious about that 
is simply the fact that at the end of the day, if you can't manage people out of a paper bag, then your company is going to be for naught in a heartbeat. A lot of entrepreneurs definitely are going through what I'm going through right now because you just sort of gave me an epiphany because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they think, you know, it's about operations or strategy, things like that. When reality is a, it's HR. You're technically the star quarterback player in the sense that you're a manager. That, that's exactly right. <clears throat> now, when it comes to running a business, you mentioned the importance of asking questions. What types of questions do you think you should ask people to get to know them better? Well, well there's... there's um, Two ways to look at this. I work with organizations and I help to fix their inefficiencies. I focus on three things in order to do that. Number one, their objectives. In other words, what are they looking to alter? Number two, what is the value for them in making that change? What does it mean to the organization? What does it mean to the shareholders? What does it also mean to the um employees of the organization, the suppliers, the vendors. And last but not least, what are the measurements for the success? How do we know that whatever we do working together will be successful? In terms of working with other people, we can take a derivation of that. You know, if you're working for me as an employee, as I work with organizations, I always say, look, Performance reviews are done very poorly. It's a one-sided opportunity for me to talk about all of the flaws that you've had over the years. My thought is, let's just shift the conversation. So if you worked for me, I would then say, hey, Jimbo, what are your goals for the year? What do you want to accomplish? Put money to the side. What's going to be the shining moment for you that you know that you've reached those goals? Number two, what is the value to you? So in other words, if you reach that goal, how is that going to make you a better employee? And how can I support you then in becoming that better employee? What are the aspirations that you have? Is it remaining with the company and having that upward path? Or do you want to just move out of the company? And there's no ill-gotten gain for that. If you decide that you want to move on in your career, I'm not going to be hesitant about that. I would love for you to be able to mature and move out because we could still maintain a relationship going forward. And last but not least, how does that help you as an individual? What are you looking for as an individual? Are you looking to be a better uh, family member? Are you looking to participate more in your family? Is it just going to give you the ego that you need because you lack confidence? What is it? What are those behaviors that will make you then a better person? One thing that really hit me, you know, to a high degree, what you said there was, how do you actually, you said measure success. How do you actually measure success? Is it about understanding the industry or is it more so about your own personal experience? Or And some people really just give you a direct answer on how to measure success and mm-hmm. to ask for that. You know, I I think a a lot of people, and I learned from a a mentor a long time ago, we all, you know, we all say that we want to be millionaires. We all want to have the big houses, the nice cars and all of that. 
I learned from a mentor a long time ago that wealth is nothing more than discretionary time. And you know what? He's right. It's one thing to have the houses. It's one thing to have the boats, the cars, the this, all the material crap. But at any point in time, it could be taken away. Um, and I know that for fact because I had an experience that occurred to me where I took advice from somebody and I didn't get the advice back and it wound up costing me a whole lot of money. And so I had to sell off the material items and, and do the things I needed to do to pay the bill. <clears throat> Long story short, I found out that, you know what, as an entrepreneur, I have learned that I can work as hard as I want and I can work as hard as I want 20 hours a week or 60 hours a week. Uh, but at what sacrifice? Is it sacrificing the relationship I have with my two children? Is it sacrificing the relationship I have with my wife? Is it sacrificing the relationship I have for my health? And so I've learned in the last so many years that, you know what, I need time for me. So success for me is about time. You know, do I have time to read and to do things that I'd like to do? Do I have time to exercise? Um, I love to be outdoors you know, that sort of thing. And I mention all of that because those are the conversations that we want to have with employees because you learn very quickly as a manager, as a business owner, that a happy employee, content employee, an engaged employee is going to give you 150% as long as you're for and give them that room for expansion. And I think that's really interesting. You mentioned being a big factor for yourself. I'm kind of thinking back to your time as sort of a student-athlete because student-athletes definitely have to measure a lot of the stuff. You know, they have to dedicate time for, you know, academics and dedicate time back again for sports and so forth. And then family. How do you think entrepreneurs can work on time management? Because I think a lot of the, at least the motivated entrepreneurs, they just tend to go, you know, balls to the wall on their business and not, not doing anything else. Right. It, it, you know, it, it's interesting because it's honestly, it's not about that. It's not about that. I've learned over time. It's not about going balls to the wall. And, and the reason why I say that specifically is because I've seen for myself too many times you put so much time and energy and you miss stuff. One of the best experiences of my life is actually one. Let me give you a sad time and, and how I altered that. Um, I was giving a keynote presentation many years ago in Seattle, Washington, and I'm calling my wife at, you know, uh, at that time it was 10 or 11 o'clock at night. It was close to seven or eight o'clock at night in Seattle. And she said to me, um, OK, good night. I'll talk to you in the morning. She called me back a few minutes later and said, I just want to let you know that I went to say goodnight to Andrew and I forgot when I was kissing him goodnight to say, oh, God, goodness, dad wants to say goodnight as well. So here's a kiss for dad. And he said, and I quote, now this is coming from a five-year-old that it was not intended to be malicious, but that's okay. I'm used to kissing one parent goodnight at night. And so there I was in Seattle, you know, a thousand miles away from home crying my eyes out. Now, to alter that, I had been on another trip in Nebraska, again, a keynote presentation that I was doing, was able to get a flight home early because I knew that my son was playing a musical instrument in the school's orchestra. I wound up catching an early flight, 
And I'm standing in the back of the gymnasium where this was taking place. And my son could see me and I could see the smile just suddenly radiate. And my heart was just full of all of this warm energy saying, you did the right thing. And, you know, for the business owner and when I'm working with business owners, those are the experiences that I tell them. Because what I say to them is, look, you could be an ass and you can put up 3000 percent into your and attention into your business. But you've got all of these other elements that are surrounding it. And that's where divorce comes up. That's where separation comes up. That's where alcoholism comes in. That's where drug addiction comes in. Because you're so focused today, you're not even concerned about what happens tomorrow. And that's not a a healthy attitude to take. And when it comes to the very good story, and when it comes to the next processes we've had, you know, we talked about asking good questions. We talked about, you know, focusing on, you know, having balance in life. And so forth. But how did you sort of become, would you consider yourself a serial entrepreneur? Because I was sort of looking at your bio and it seems that you have a lot of different things you're doing. Do you think there's a value or a benefit to being a serial entrepreneur? I have thought it's, it's a serial entrepreneur. But what I have learned over time is a couple of different things. And, and they're probably going to be remote and they don't fit into one package. But I have learned from listening over time that when I walk into a room, I have a presence. And sometimes that presence tends to throw people. But at the same time, people have also said to me, while you have a presence, they look at you as being a leader. And unfortunately, I've learned when I was an employee that when I walked into a room, and I think that still happens today, people take me as a threat. And, and I say that because a couple of years ago, I was, I had taken a job in Orlando, Florida. I was going to be the chief operating officer for a family owned business to take it from an $11 million company to $150 million company. Anytime I tried to make a change, I was negated. And that was because I believe the person who was the CEO, who was a little bit younger than me, was threatened that I was going to take his company over. So I have learned over the years, and maybe it's a, a blessed thing, maybe it's it's just me needing to listen to God a little bit closer. I am an entrepreneur, and I'm supposed to be an entrepreneur because I can't stand being with other people that are envious of me. I can't stand being with people that don't want to collaborate. Um, and I bring, I do truly bring a lot to the table. And because I bring so much to the table, I have so many different ideas, and the only way for me to expound on those ideas is to truly be my own boss and and give me the freedom that I need to create and and to flow and to to make it right. You know, at the end of the day, though, Jimbo, what I've also learned from listening to this is that I was thrown into roles where I was not able to use my talent. My innate talent is coaching, mentoring, counseling, and teaching. And so over the years as a consultant, that's exactly what I do. Um, In addition to that, I also adjunct instruct at university, which is still part of teaching. And you know what? Nothing thrills me more than helping individuals understand what they need to do to advance themselves. Now, before we get into your best 
success stories, of course, with consulting. I kind of want to just say, you know, it sort of reminds me of, you know, Joseph in the Bible, because, you know, you're sort of like Joseph and these other people, they're kind of like the brothers. They're jealous of you and you have to kind of leave and go somewhere else to really see that success with, with consulting. So it's kind of a bit of a connection there, which I find really cool. And, you know, no one said that and I appreciate the comment and it wasn't until you just said it that I can tell you sitting here it's been 10 years since he died <clears throat> um, the individual who I, I learned something over time that God is my father so my earthly father um, who helped birth me I think was envious of me um, he called me nicknames and dastardly nicknames. Um, he didn't like the fact that I was running. He didn't like the fact that I challenged him on things. I was supposed to sit and do. And <clears throat> what I've learned over the years is I think you're right, whether it was David or Joseph, I've learned that people are envious. And you know what? I'm going to rise above all of that crap you can be as envious as you want, but guess what? I'm not going to, you know, I mean, is that to say that I have not had issues over the years? You know, we all have issues because we live in an earthly world. Shit happens. But at the end of the day, if I'm able to overcome, then I don't care. My attitude is I'm going to step all over you so that I could become who I want to be. And how do you kind of take that same attitude that you have and kind of bring it into the people that you consult? I think I've learned over the years that while I'm very direct and sometimes that directness could throw people off, I also have a very soft heart and I have a soft heart for people that come to me and say to me, I have a problem. Can you help me? I'm screwed up. Can you help me? And I think that's how I've been able to sustain it all because I've, tried very diligently not to go with ego, not to go with narcissism, but to go with confidence. And there's a big difference between ego and being confident. There's um, a difference between being very um, listener orientated versus being very controlling. And so having those skills from a selling perspective by asking the right questions and by listening more has not allowed me to be too indamnable to people and get, you know, kind of in their face, but to allow them to express themselves so that they can bring out their creativity. And when it comes to being a direct person, which I think is important for being an entrepreneur because you need to know what you want because it's definitely going to cost money to do what you want. Right. right. But how do you teach that to other people that may be more feeling that you know, I'll, I'll use a line that um, when I talk to students, whether they're masters or undergraduate students, what I always say to them is, look, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. And you have, an, you have to do one of two things. You have either need to plant your feet in the ground and be confident where you are, or you can allow these individuals that are out there to roll you over like a steamroller. And if it were me, I'm going to stand in front of the steamroller and say, go for it. But guess what? You ain't taking me down. And while you have had certain experiences over the years, 
and where people have hit on your confidence, hit on your ego and hit on your self-esteem. I'm working with you to build that self-esteem so that you can basically say, go kiss off because this is me and I know what I bring to the table. This is me and I know what what I have brought forth. One of my favorite songs in recent years is This Is Me from the show The Greatest Showman, where it talks about people having all of this rude behavior and making all of these judgment calls and, and calling names and everything else. But if you stand your ground and you truly know you who you are, then it doesn't matter what people say. You just have to throw it out of your head. You talked about standing your ground but is that sort of a way that you can build self-esteem in some of the people that you consult and work with? Can you kind of talk about how you build self-esteem in some of your clients? And maybe kind of give us a little bit of a story of some of those people. You know, it, that was asked of me several years ago because I was working with an individual who was a gym owner that also came from um, humble beginnings. And, you know, my my assessment is when people come from a dysfunctional background or a background where there was not a love and a lot, not a lot of support, I think it's much easier for individuals like ourselves to stand our ground because we've been fighting since we've been children. So to a certain extent, it becomes second nature for others that maybe have come from better foundations, but then have had issues over the years, they have lost what they were reared with. <clears throat> and what I always have, what I learned even when we were talking about track, watch any child in any sport. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be riding a bicycle. It could be running. It could be walking. It could be reading. We pick up bad habits from watching other things. But a child, when it's born, it's born without all of these negative influences. And what happens is, is that those negative influences really parlay into negative effects on that individual. So if an individual is older and has bad, a bad marriage, then they just think of themselves as being the wicked spouse because that's what they were told. <clears throat> if they have had bad jobs, it, they are always told that they're a crappy employee because the managers that they work with have always not let them grow and have always said, you're just a crappy employee. So what I do is I work with the individuals of the, the traits and the innate skills that they have been brought, reared with, born with, and work on those. And that then creates that self-esteem and that confidence that they need to have. What's the difference sort of between ego and self-esteem, confidence? More definitions. I'm not asking for you the textbook definitions because it can vary. You know, as as I go around the workday or my day, my day, and I look at other people, I you know there are people that walk around with with good self esteem and good confidence. They hold their shoulders up, the chest is out, and when you talk to them, their voice is strong and and they have this presence about them, that they're comfortable in their own shoes, that what they say they believe in them, they can do. Ego, I believe, is, are individuals that are always seeking to prove something, always think that they, they're not good enough so that they take from areas, whether it's sports, whether it's politics, whether it's managerial issues. And what they try to, to do is they try to better 
somebody else or they speak above somebody else. You'll notice then when you and I talk, outside of just the technology issues, I wait to finish to allow you to finish your sentences. But there are many individuals that while you're speaking, they're very happy to interject. Those are people that really are ego bound and are really lacking the confidence that they need. True people that are confident, true people that are not uh, really have good self-esteem really are so good about believing in themselves that they allow their aura to do that presentation. They don't need to tell anybody else. And when it comes to a lot of this, how did you sort of begin to get into investing as well? How was that culture sort of created for you? Were you always sort of a, a natural investor? Because investing and entrepreneurship, I don't really know much about investing, but I know they're very different. Right. Investing in myself really came truly from three things. Number one, I mentioned my grandmother before, and we used to sit at her kitchen table after my grandfather had passed away, and we would have coffee. This was when I was truly 11 years old. We would have coffee, and we would have – it's a Jewish food item. It's called matzah, which is flatbread, like manna to a certain extent. And we would sit there and it would be hours at a time and I'd have a conversation with my grandmother. But while we were conversing, my grandmother read the news. And so I have always believed that to be an influencer in life, you need to know what's going on in on in the world around you. So she gave me a voracious appetite for reading, research, and the world. So I'm always constantly reading and reviewing. Secondly, because I came from such a dysfunctional home, I never really had mentors. And so the only way that I knew that I can achieve something in life was truly by investing in myself. And so what did that mean? That meant reading, that meant exercising, and that also meant being in tune with my body and with my mind. So what did I need to fill me fill me up that made me a better person? Well, from my years of track and field, and, uh, which eventually led into bodybuilding, I became very in tune to my body, so much so that so many years later, I'm still into diet, I'm still into exercise, I'm still into nutrition. I tr- Now, does that mean that I don't uh, drink or, you know, the only thing that goes into my body is water? Hell no, Jimbo. You know, I love my scotch, I love my cigar on the weekend, but that also tells me that I need to enjoy life. I need to relinquish and, and just go, but that's really listening to my body. The third is then I've learned over time that none of this in any way, shape, or form happened by me. It's from up above. I I was put here from up above, and I've got a role to fulfill. People do ask me today, so what is my destiny? Quite honestly, I don't know. I think I know that part of my destiny is teaching, mentoring, and coaching. I know that to be true. I was told by a medium at one point that in the days of Socrates, I was a philosopher, I was a researcher, and I was a scholar. So if I look at the fact of reincarnation, somewhere in my nine lives, I I was a teacher, and so I'm now going back to teaching. But I think it really, you know, in, in essence, in your question, if I put it down to one thing in terms of investment, it's really understanding where the voids are and what I need to make of my or give of myself to make myself a whole person, to give 
back and, and also feel confident and comfortable with myself. And how do you sort of work? Which one do you think, is there sort of a difference between teaching people and consulting? What do you think? No, there really isn't quite, you know, there truly is not, you know, when I'm consulting, all I'm doing is listening to what the issues of the business are and mentoring them to improve when I'm what, and where I got that from was, and I think we all have it in ourselves, but even though I was going through my trials and tribulations as a teenager, I remember speaking on the phone to my friends and we were all talking about different problems and different things we were going through. And yet, and I knew at the time that I was just very good at listening to other people and helping them to resolve their issues. You know, if I, if I had a do over, not that I want one, but if I had a do over, I could have been a psychologist. I could have been a therapist. Would it have made me happy? No. Um, but I, I know that over the years that, that um, acclimation of having to listen and resolve problems has always been somehow an innate talent of mine. How do you think other people find and cultivate their own innate talent? Do you sort of, obviously when you consult people, I don't expect everyone to have sort of the same skill set as you do. They have their own, you know, skill sets. How do you help them to discover that? You know, that's harder because I think too many individuals come with biases. So if I were in a room and I were teaching other consultants, there are too many consultants that are out there that have way too many biases. In other words, Jimbo, they believe that assessments are the big problem. So let me diagnose because and let's do a personality test. And you're a D, you're an I, you're an S. All that's doing is labeling people. Other individuals look for financial accounting and the fact that, okay, you don't know financial accounting, so that's the reason why the business is off. You don't know anything about marketing, so let me teach you about marketing. That's not going to resolve the problem. If you you have an engineer that is architecting a building, they don't want to be a sales and marketing person. They just want to design their skills. What they, so in other words, what is the problem? The problem is, is that they don't know who to turn to to help them sell their services. They can't do it themselves. And all they're looking to do is manifest the talent so that others understand how to build that bridge, how to build that tunnel, whatever the case may be. And so it's it, it, quite honestly, if I'm in a room with consultants based upon your question, I tell them, get rid of all of the hubris that they got, get rid of all of biases, get rid of everything, and truly understand what the problem is. And then once you understand the problem, you can come up with solutions. You know, people, they're, people are afraid of flying because they have heard through the rumor mill that planes crash. But, you know, the statistics show it's one of the safest forms of travel. So if we get rid of the, the, the person, what is the real issue? The person doesn't want to die. Okay, so let's get the person's fear of death out of the way and let's show them a mode of transportation that's going to be safe for them. So your approach is what you're generally saying is first, try not to look too much at the outside. Yes, very much so. And that approach is you sort of coined that approach, the key to your success as sort of a consultant and why you may be sort of above most of the other consultants. 
I, I would think so because I, it's true. I put the person first. I, I am a big into evaluating the individual and what the individual or individuals, if it's partners, bring to the firm. When I am, you know, working with other consultants, I find that they look at process. They look at obstacles. What you really have to look at is the people that are behind the business and what are they bringing or not bringing to the table. So as an example of that, I've got a jewelry store that I'm working with. And dad came to me and said that he wants to have his son take over the business. His son is 35 years of age. And, you know, we could talk, they told me he hired a marketing firm and he did this and he did that. And at the end of the day, I asked a series of questions and this is what I come to find out. Dad's a shitty business owner and his son is even a worse business owner. And I had to say the one thing that he did not want to hear. You both got to go. You, you both got to go. And no one else is going to tell you that. I'm very happy to take all and any money you want to pay me as a consultant. But let, I'm not here to stay here forever. I'm here to improve your condition and move on so when you're happy, you can tell other people. So I'm going to be the first one to tell you. You suck at business. And you need a general manager to come in here, and your son can't take over because your son is just as bad as you. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And you know what he said? Yeah. You're right. And, you know, I think that's another strength to being direct. You know, there's... No wasting of time. You know, it doesn't drag on for years and years until they finally learn on their own. You sort of gave them a privilege because right. they now know, okay, I've got a plan of action. Right. So can you kind of give us kind of a brief run through what your website is and kind of the key areas? We don't have to go through the whole thing. Just the key area. You know what? The key area, quite honestly, I work with small to middle-sized businesses um, anywhere between $2 million and as much as $60 million in revenue on the high side. And I help them where they, I help struggling companies create the efficiencies and get rid of the obstacles so that they could become competitive proof. I help to then scale the revenue and I then make the business owner wealthier tomorrow than they are today. That's essentially the value proposition. And when we go through all this, how do you sort of help them know what you're about. So like news and blog, right? How does it sort of work to bring in that philosophy, to bring in that brief kind of summary you gave there? How does it help or? Yeah, how does it help kind of let people know that? It, well, it helps to narrow the scope because I think there, there are way too many consultants that are out there that stereotype what they do. So what they'll say is, I do financial planning, or I am a marketing person, or I'm a digital marketing person, or uh, we're a fractional share company. I have learned over the course of time that people are not looking for stereotypes. Individuals that are in need are not necessarily in need of a, let's say, you know, because we've been talking about self-esteem, confidence, and those sorts of things. They don't look for a therapist. They don't want a therapist. They want someone who's going to turn their obstacles into efficiencies. They're looking for somebody that could take that depression and anxiety away and make them a more confident person. So the reason why I utilize that statement and I create a whole bunch of content related in that capacity is simply because I want people to understand I know what they're going through. I, what I want to be able to do is when I speak, I want people to say, 
oh, shoot, you're talking to me. That's happening to me. Oh, cool. Um, and I got that, quite honestly, from many years ago. I was on a plane, and I was wearing a pin from an organization I was the chapter president of for a while, and it was a microphone. And it was nothing more than a microphone that represented that organization. Somebody on it on the flight said to me, so what do you do? And I stupidly said, I'm a motivational speaker. And they said, oh, really? You know, so you're like real motivational speaker. And I went, no, I, I truly suck. I make so many people depressed that when I'm done, they want to commit suicide. And the person laughed a little bit and they, you know, we ended, we, we had a, a nice conversation after that and then ended it and so on. But I, what I learned was I stupidly stereotyped myself. And we walk around with way too many stereotypes, and whether it's a policeman, whether it's a nurse, whether it's a medical exam, whatever the case may be. So I want people to understand that when I speak to them, I work with struggling businesses. Oh, shoot. Yeah, my business is not good. I struggle. And I transform them into competitive proof, revenue based businesses that and I make them wealthier. Well, I want to become more competitive proof because the guy down the street is kicking my butt. I do want more money and I do want more wealth. Okay, cool. Then I can help you. And talk about your competitive nature. How do you think your website helps to enhance you and become more competitive over some of the other consulting websites? I, you know, I don't think it's just the website itself. Um, I think we have to create, we as consultants, we as individuals trying to help others need to be content marketers. We need to be influencers. We need to, we need to create what I call attraction or marketing attraction. And this website is one of a multitude of tools that are out there that help you to understand what I bring to the table. So I create podcasts. I create articles. I write books. I'm a keynote speaker. I do webinars and then all of that is meant to bring you to the website. So when you come to the website, immediately you see the logo, you see growth in the logo, you see revenue in the logo, you see services, you see the fact that I speak. And that is because I'm not just the humdrum willing to just pull something off a shelf and say, here, try this. You're going to be fantastic. What I want to be able to do is give you the tools necessary that transform that success. So now I don't want to ask you some finalizing questions here, some basic kind of, if you could go back in time, right, and speak to your younger self, what would you tell them? <laughs> I've seen a lot of those expressions come up in a blog post on Facebook recently, and I've stayed away from them. <clears throat> but I'll answer that here for, you know, the folks that are listening yes. and, and we'll listen on a recording. I don't, you know, the younger self, the guy that was getting beaten, the guy that was smoking dope and, and drinking Jack Daniels, I would say he's above and start reading the Bible sooner um, because there is a way out of this. I think, quite honestly, I, I've been wanting to speak to children and church groups. I actually have something in my heart where I want to write a small book on child abuse because there is so much anxiety, there's so much depression, given the pandemic and other social issues. And I want kids out there today to know that, you know what, you think that mom and dad don't love you. And if they don't, guess what? It's okay. Because you're going to become better 
by them not giving your set of circumstances. You don't have to succumb to homelessness. You do not have to succumb to oxy. You don't have to succumb to life's trials and tribulations. You can get out of this crap. You just have to listen to your inner voice. So that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing that I would say, because I never had it growing up, and every now and again I would say, eh, it haunts me just a tad, not a lot, but just a tad. Find yourself a mentor. My grandmother died when I was 15, 16, oh, I'm sorry, 18 years of age. And she went, in my mind, she went too soon, but I never had another mentor. I needed somebody to basically take me by the uh, base of my neck and point me to a corner. And I lost that when she passed away. And I wish I had that Marnie that I mentioned before or somebody else. I've done it on my own. And every now and again, I say to myself, I'm tired from having done it on my own. Now I've been married for 30 years, so I do have a mentor in my wife. But the the sooner you get a mentor or a coach, the better off you're going to be. And the only other thing that I would say to this person, my, my younger self, would, you know what? You're okay. You were told, and I don't want to do it on Facebook Live, uh, plus the fact there were a lot of colloquial, very poor expressions, but I was told by my old man that I was never going to amount to anything. I was going. To, I was told by my old man that I would just be a miserable creep and I would never become anything in life. I listened to my inner voice, and what I would say to that younger person is listen to your inner voice. Listen to who you and follow your goals and follow your dreams. Um, you know, there, there's a line from a, <clears throat> an old show, kind of a uh, close to this. It was with Whoopi Goldberg. She was a nun, and um, it, it was the, the sequel to the movie anyway. And in any event, it, w- it was the fact that this girl wanted to sing. She had this absolutely terrific singing voice. She was She's also a hip-hop star, so no wonder, but... Her mom in the movie said, you know what? All of the shoulda, woulda, couldas will never you put money on the table. Your father died poor because of the shoulda, woulda, coulda. You'll never be a shoulda, woulda, coulda. My inner voice tells me I don't give a shit what anybody else is saying. And so to that younger person, don't give a crap about what anybody's saying and the negative effects. Be the person that you want to be. And you're going to come out okay. Excellent. Be the person that you This was a great talk, Mr. Stevens. Thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. It's been a pleasure being on the show. Blessings. Be well. All right. Well, I'm Jimbo Paris. This is the Jimbo Paris Show. Make sure you go in and buy David Medansky's book concerning weight loss, including dieting. Learn all about it there. Thank you again. Take care. Have a great weekend. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. 